Hi everybody, I'm Sess Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Fleur Hazelwood. Fleur is the founder of the Blueberry Institute and is a leadership expert in healthy high performance. She's passionate about workplace well-being and helps people from all walks of life balance work and life without the burnout. She joins me today to talk about her new book and shares her top tips for developing resiliency, increasing mindfulness and mental flexibility. Hi Fleur, welcome to the show. So great to have you with us today. It's an absolute pleasure to be joining you. Now, you've been helping leaders and business owners for a couple of decades to achieve well-being at work. And with your new book, Resilience Recipes, Making Space for Well-Being That Works, I mean, I, I think it couldn't have come at a better time. We're all probably feeling a little bit burnout and fatigued from COVID. So is that one of the reasons why you decided to put pen to paper? Um, great question. Thank you. So there's a couple of reasons um, for why I thought it would be helpful to, to put pen to paper. Um, a lot of the leaders and business owners that I'm having conversations with are struggling with that balance between, you know, busyness and balance or, you know, burnout and, and doing well. And I think the media has done a great job in giving us permission to talk about our mental health and our well-being at work, but not necessarily such a great idea around how to get started, what to do, you know, what will work, and also how to make it simple and quick for busy people to incorporate it into their lives. Yeah, that uh, it is great that that mental well-being and mental health is now part of the conversation because so much about mental health used to be stigmatised, so it's really great that that conversation is opening up now. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we've come a long way, or I should say I know we've come a long way over the, over the last couple of years, um, you know, e- even prior to the pandemic coming out of our, our Australian bushfire summer, the conversation around mental health and the normalisation that it's okay to admit when you're not okay has just come so far. And the place that we're in now is, is that there's a much more open and growing acceptance that we need help with our mental wealth and our, our mental health and our, our well-being. I also like to think of it as mental wealth, so that was only a slight Freudian slip there. <laughs> um, but people still struggle, you know, where to start, who to speak to, or in a workplace context, you know, how do I approach this subject with my manager if I'm not doing so well? Or, you know, if, if you're a leader, it's like, well, you know, I've got this staff member that's not doing too well. How, how do I, you know, know what the balance is between, you know, professional, personal support versus getting getting too personal? And so one of the things that um, I'm hoping to support people with is to sort of like give them the, the confidence and also some, some, I guess, some language and some stories to make those more important kinds of conversations and, and decisions easier. Yeah, because they can be difficult conversations to have, can't they? I mean, like you look at um, Are You OK Day and that's like a really simple way to start the conversation, but it's very surface level, isn't it? So how? what's your advice for um, a leader or not even necessarily a leader, someone who's a friend of someone who might see that, People are feeling challenged and and need some some help. Yeah, absolutely. So, are you okay? Has been a fantastic meme or mantra for making it acceptable to ask about mental health and well being. But are you okay in of itself? 
is not actually a good are you okay question. And so a lot of the conversations that I'm having with leaders and business owners around, you know, how do we appropriately and and in a caring way put this, you know, topic out there or, or approach this conversation with our staff is very much around starting with what you've specifically noticed about that person. So we sometimes, you know, worry a little bit about getting too personal, but there's a big difference between saying, hey, I've noticed you're a little bit quieter than your usual bubbly self. I'm concerned about you and I'd like to understand, you know, if if, if there's anything that you would like help with versus a generic are you okay, which can be answered with good, fine, busy, yes, you know, that surface level, you know, commentary that you made at the the beginning of, of, of this part of our conversation. Yeah, so getting a little bit more specific with with the conversation. Yeah, so being specific with what you've noticed and also using I statements because I statements, even though they might sometimes feel a little bit uncomfortable to us because it's kind of like, oh, we're owning something that might be a little bit personal, actually comes across as something caring and supportive to, to, to the person that you're checking in with. So if I was to say, hey, I've noticed that you're not your usual bubbly self and I'm concerned about you, sounds, you know, really quite open and caring versus you're quieter, you're usually bubblier, what's going on for you? And can you see how just that shift between I and you makes it seem and feel and land caring and concerned, whereas the you statements make it feel a little bit more attacky or a little bit more aggressive and a person feels on the back foot? Yeah, that's really interesting. It is um, really important how we phrase something, the language that we use, so it doesn't feel like an attack. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, often even with our best intentions, because we're feeling uncomfortable, we can use some of those words inadvertently to try and create a little bit of distance between us and a a challenging comment, whereas actually stepping into that challenge and being willing to to care can make a really big difference. And that's where I find, um, you know, things like, you know, reading and learning some of these conversation skills can really make a big, big difference between a caring and courageous leader and and someone who's really not sure, you know, where to go or or what to do when challenged with someone who's not travelling so well. I was also thinking, you know, because of the pandemic, we've all been stretched really. A lot of people have been absorbing roles or um, they're doing work that they wouldn't normally do because teams have shrunk or they're just generally challenged by what's going on. But if... um, quite a, a large portion of our audience are also soloists, sole traders. So the challenge for them, how do they recognise that that they're um, feeling burnt out and overwhelmed and what are some of the, the signals that, that people should be looking out for? Yeah, some of the signs and signals that we should be looking out for will appear in a bunch of different aspects of our lives and in the ways we sort of like think and feel and, and behave. So um, often the first sign is us getting emotional over situations or small things that wouldn't usually bother us. Another sign is when we find ourselves increasingly getting caught, you know, overthinking or ruminating and worrying about something more excessively than we usually would do. Um, Some physical signs might um, include things like extra tiredness or finding it more difficult 
to just get work done or concentrate on work that we normally wouldn't have any challenges with. So we're looking for changes in our emotional state, some differences in the way that we might cognitively process or mentally process something, and then then those 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 physical challenges. So some warning signs are a little bit around, you know, when we're slowing down and we're, we're really not presenting or engaging in our life the way that the way that we usually we usually would and so there usually are some some early warning signs and but they tend to be the little things so quite often especially as as business owners and I'm one of those myself um, we push on or we we push through because we've got this real drive and, and determination and this real sense that hey the buck buck stops with me I need to make things work and I really encourage people to notice when your wheels are starting to get a little bit wobbly as opposed to waiting until your wheels fall off. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm an expert in the wheels falling off. So this, this, this is not a preachy thing. This is from, from someone who, who's lived it. And I guess part of that is my, my books or sharing, sharing with others in my book my journey around what it was like to um, you know, move move from burnout back into a place of, of wellness and health again. It it is so important that you kind of catch it in time so that your recovery can be smoother and faster, isn't it? Rather than like ah, <laughs> you're at your wits end, and then that's a whole other process to try and pull yourself out of a hole, isn't it? Absolutely, it is so much easier to course correct than it is to try and like, you know, do a 360 turn when the Titanic is already powering towards, you know, towards the iceberg. Yeah. So what are some practical strategies that business owners or um, business leaders could put into place to help them manage their stress and help them um, have a bit more balance and be able to bounce back from feeling overwhelmed? a big ask sorry (laughs) well it's interesting it's a big ask but it's actually a small shift and my first tip is that it's really important that you put your own oxygen mask on before you know helping others you know as per our emergency landing card in our airline safety pockets Um, we're very good at giving away all of our oxygen to the tasks and the projects and the other people in our life that we need to, you know, to, 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 to be supporting. And what happens is that we end up starving ourselves of the things that we need to be our best. And so my very, very first and extremely practical tip is, particularly us busy business owners, is that we need to be blocking out time in our own calendar that is like sacred, spacious breathing time for us to be able to stop and catch a breath and work out what is important for us. And then the second thing that, or the second message that I think is really important that's going to, I guess, help busy leaders or or business owners to to prioritise that time for their own well-being is that people who are well do well. And what's happened, particularly in our workplaces, is we've got the equation the wrong way around because I think we're all doing a lot of doing but we're not doing enough well. And we've now got something like 10 years' worth of research that says if we focus on our health, our well-being and our happiness first, 
then all of the performance match metrics that matter, so we're talking about productivity, we're talking about innovation, we're talking about creativity, we're talking about our relationships, all these things that our, our business owners and leaders need to be masters a, a, across, all of those key elements that affect our performance and how well our business runs can improve by up to 30%. But what's happening is, is we've got this mental paradigm that if we work hard and we get our results and we achieve success, then we deserve well-being. But what happens is, is that we achieve something so we look for the next goal and we start working towards the next goal and then we achieve that. And what's happening is, is that we're never getting to well-being and we're treating well-being as this, as this reward. So the second part, I guess, of the tips is, you know, block out the time. The second part is, is prioritise it for you. So know that you are worth it and believe that you are worth it. And then get clear on what is going to best support you, what well-being means to you. And that's something that my book does help people with. Every single person has different elements at different times in their life that is going to be more or less important to their well-being. So well-being to a new parent is probably going to be around getting more sleep and health around the house. Whereas well-being to a teenager that's just left home and is approaching their first job, well-being is going to be around how do I fit in, how do I make some social networks, how do I figure out how to do a good job. So we actually need to work out, you know, what well-being means to us, which is then going to help us busy business owners and leaders to then prioritise the well-being or the resilience skills or the self-care strategies, just the one or two that we can incorporate into an already busy life that's going to enable us to get things done as opposed to feeling like it's something else that's added onto our plate. Yeah, I was just going to ask you um, what uh, what ways could people identify what was important to their well-being, but you kind of answered that it's a little bit different for everyone. And it, it does it also, um, what role does like exercise and mindfulness play in that as well well the cool thing is is there are a couple of what I almost call superfoods for well-being and you've hit on my top two superfoods when it comes to to well-being so physical exercise for example obviously most of us know the you know fantastic benefits it has for our physical health our physical fitness and just our physical energy or our energy levels to to show up and fully participate but exercise is also fantastic for our mental health. So shifting your body literally does shift your state. It's good for shaking off, um, you know, some challenging emotions. So if we're finding overwhelming emotions or we're starting to feel overwhelmed with our workload, actually just getting up and going for a walk around the park for 20 minutes clears our head, clears our mental health and helps us to re-establish our emotional baseline as well. So exercise is absolutely up there um, as a, as a superfood that's going to support you across a broad range of your well-being categories, and then something like mindfulness. So mindfulness is something that's become really quite popularised in Western culture over the last few years, 
But many people associate mindfulness meditation and they kind of go, oh, meditation, or it's too hard, or my mind is too big. Oh, it's a bit woo-woo. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> or it's too woo-woo, or what do you mean I've got to sit down and, you know, spend 10 minutes, like, clearing all the thoughts out of my head? It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Do you know how many thoughts I've got in my head? This is, you know, this is rubbish and ridiculous. And the way that I like to present mindfulness to busy leaders and business owners is that mindfulness is simply a skill that helps you to recognise the thoughts that are going on in your head and choose whether they're helpful or unhelpful and then be purposeful on how you move forward. So it's very much around clarity and choice. And so meditation is a great way of training your focus, but it's not the only way that you can achieve mindfulness. So for some people it might be running. When um, I think most of us have heard this, you know, description of runner's high, it's when, you know, this sense of yourself and your thoughts have sort of like left your head and you're in the moment and you're just enjoying being there. Um, Or swimming. Many people say to me, well, swimming's kind of like my meditation because when I'm in the pool, there's nothing going on. There's just me and the water and the stroke. And so encourage particularly our, um, you know, busy leaders and, and business owners to think about, you know, what's the one kind of like activity or hobby or small thing where you feel a sense of, of flow and you're able to put down what's in your head. And that is a fantastic mindfulness activity to tr- retrain your focus in your brain, but it also is a great way of giving your mental energy or your emotional energy a break. Hmm. And what about that inner critic, that little voice that is like, oh, you're not doing it right or it's not good enough or how do you tell that to shut up? Oh, we've absolutely all got those inner critics. It's like, oh, you could have said that better or you could have done that better or what are you thinking about or you're too slow and da-da-da-da-da. I mean, we've all got that internal internal chit-chat going on. And I think a helpful um, almost like reframe or mantra around that is when you catch yourself beating yourself up a little bit over something or berating yourself over something not being you know good enough or fast enough or whatever the case may be just stop and pause and say hey if this was my best friend sharing their thoughts with me what would I say to them Because what we tend to find is we're kind and we're generous and we're empathetic and we're supportive of our friends, but then we allow our own internal dialogue to to criticise and and, and beat ourselves up. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And what about resilience? I I don't know if I'm right about this, but I feel as though some people are innately more resilient than others, but that doesn't mean that you can't learn to be more resilient. Absolutely. Resilience is an interesting one because we've all got different perspectives of what it is, how it works and whether we're good at it or not. And it's interesting, I tend to find this is where our inner critic, you know, tends to tends to jump in and, and, and shout loudly from the bleachers as well. And um, with resilience, every single one of us is actually born with some resilience. And I think where we come a little bit unstuck with, is, is with how we um, define it. And there's actually... And, and I, I, I peel this apart in my book. There's actually sort of like three key resilience areas. So one is around our coping skills. So when, um, you know, stress or pressure or, or something extreme, you know, hits, the skills to be able to manage that crisis moment or, or, or that stress in the moment. 
Then there's a set of resilient skills, which is around how we recover from an adversity or a challenge or, or a tough, tough task. So there's that recovery, which people may have heard the concept bounce back from. So how quickly do we bounce back from adversity? Do we go down for the count or do we have sort of like a, a natural pause and, and regroup and are able to pull ourselves back out of it? So that's the, the second aspect of resilience. And then the third one is around how we manage our energy. Because the more energy and buffer we have in the tank, the less likely we are to struggle when we come across life's ups, ups and downs. And so everyone will have some strengths in one of these areas of resilience and some areas where they're they're not so great. So for me, for example, I have absolutely fantastic, well-honed coping skills. I'm really good at stress and the adrenaline rush that comes with, you know, deadlines and urgent things that need to be done. And I'd hazard a guess most and many entrepreneurs are are pretty switched on in, in, in that part of resilience. But I am quite susceptible to burnout. I'm not as great at managing my my energy. And so for a long time, I thought that actually I wasn't great at resilience. But what I actually realised was, you know, there were two aspects of resilience that worked well, but I needed to do some more work around how I managed my boundaries, my energy management practices and what kind of physical fitness I was incorporating into my day. So I guess, you know, I'd like to, to leave, you know, people with the, you know, the hope that we actually all have got some resilience reserves and what's going to help is to identify what does work for you and to acknowledge and leverage that, so turn it into a strength and then look at the areas where you're not so great and fill in your, I guess, you know, well-being or your life skills or your resilience toolkit around that because resilience can absolutely be built and you can also create a buffer for when going, when you know, life or the going gets a little bit tougher. Yeah, like you can top up your tank. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Going back to the car analogy, you know, we were talking about you know noticing when the wheels are wobbly rather than waiting till you know till the wheels fall off. It's exactly the same same principle with with our resilience, making sure that we've got enough petrol in the tank and that we're sort of like you know not pushing down the highway with a hundred kilometers to go and only twenty kilometers left in the tank. And what about? If you're dealing with kind of a toxic workplace, what would you suggest? One of the um, challenges with, uh, I guess, resilience and well-being skills is the ability to recognise what's you and what's the dynamics of the environment around you. And often our own identity can get caught up with the challenging things that are happening in our environment. So, you know, if we, um, you know, uh, are having a, a hard time or somebody's giving us a hard time, taking too much of what they might be projecting around what's going on for them personally and on us. And so there's two things that um, encourage people to do. It's like, what are you doing to build your own resilient skills and to, to buffer some of that toxicity or negativity? So that's where honing those mental adaptability skills, so things like mindfulness and being able to, you know, clearly, I guess, you know, pick out what's real and what's not in terms of what's going around you will help you to retain your perspective and take things less personally. And then making some choices and trying different things in different ways of relating to to the people around you and then being courageous and recognising when you can change something change something and when you can make it positive 
or recognising that, you know, this is the environment that I am in. It's not changing in a hurry. Do I choose to, to stay and make the most of the good things here or will I be better off looking at different strategies and different places and somewhere else to go? And do you have a go-to mindfulness technique that you know, when things are getting a little too much that you go, you know, whether it's your breathing or you jump in the pool, what's your, what's your thing that you do? I'm a big fan of breathing. So part of my resilience journey was very much around learning more, not just about yoga practices, but also the philosophy around yoga. And our breath is one of the most amazing tools that we have been given. It's natural, it's free, it's easily accessible. Breath is um, life. <laughs> absolutely. And breath is life, right? So, you know, if, if, if you stop breathing, you're not going to get very far. Absolutely. But, you know, same thing again. So, you know, most of us are born breathing. We were actually never taught to breathe. It's, it's you know, we, we kind of like assume that breathing is just breathing. But the fantastic thing about breathing is, is depending on how you breathe and where you breathe from, you can regulate both your emotional and your mental state. So, for example, if you're feeling like, you know, your, your, your blood pressure's, you know, starting to, to rise, a really great way of bringing some calm to your body is to slow down, to move your breathing from your chest down into your belly, to focus on the exhale, so a longer exhale to an inhale. And what you're doing by altering your breathing like this is you're tapping into your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest. And so in as short a space of two to three minutes, you can move from a stressy, high-energy, wired, panicky kind of state into something that's a lot more spacious and calm and quieter. On the flip side, if you're feeling a little bit tired and lethargic and you really need, you know, one more burst of energy to get through to your day, if you take stronger inhales and you breathe from your chest and you really focus on getting as much oxygen into your body as you can, you're activating that sympathetic nervous system, which is where your fight and flight and that cortisol and those adrenaline boosts um, come from. And so breathing is, you know, such a, a beautiful tool that's accessible to, to all of us. But most of us, you know, haven't, you know, have, haven't been shown how to, to tune in and, and regulate our breath in a way that enhances our well-being as opposed to, you know, exacerbating whatever the feeling is that we might be experiencing at the time. Yes. Thank you for that um, little lesson on breath. And I think that will be really valuable for our listeners. I'm really glad to have had you on the show today, Fleur. Thank you so much for joining me and good luck with the book as well. I hope it, it goes gangbusters for you. Thank you very much and appreciate the opportunity to, to, to come and have this, this conversation um, with you and, you know, hopefully people will um, take away from today that, you know, well-being is more than, than you know, is more important than doing well. So the, the mantra I like to give is, is that people that are well do well. So please prioritise yourself. Yeah, that's a, a good thing to end on, I think. Make yourself a priority. Absolutely. <laughs> We're all too busy. <laughs> well, that's the thing. If you don't prioritise yourself, who is going to? So that's, that, that's something I think that um, many of us 
kind of like don't really think about. But um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure with with um, you speaking with you today, and thank you for the invitation. <laughs>